Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin, and we are the Wilsons. I'm reading through the Harry Potter series for the first time. And I'm a devoted Potterhead. We've been married almost a year now and started the show when we were still engaged. Each week, we read a chapter, or sometimes two or three, and discuss our journey through the series. We also pull marriage lessons from each week's text, and Kev makes a prediction about what we can expect from the series in the future. This is a podcast about Harry Potter, but it's also a podcast about love, relationships, community, and the world. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you decided to join us. Settle in, make some friends through our many social media platforms, and enjoy the ride. If you're already a regular listener, welcome back. We can't do this without you. Fair warning for first-time readers of the series. As long as you don't read ahead of Kev, you won't encounter spoilers. And a fair warning to all of our listeners, we occasionally get really excited about the series and use adult language to express ourselves. We're glad you're here. At the end of the show, you can find out how to interact with us, your gracious hosts, connect with other listeners, and ways you can support the show through our Patreon page. Welcome to the Fox and the Foxhound. So you know what I was listening to in the shower today? What? Happiness is a warm gun. Mama. I, mama. I do not understand what that song is actually about. Google it. Is it. Do you know the answer? No. Is it about sex or is it about war? I don't know. But it's probably one or the other. It's coming <laughs> from John Lennon. <laughs> I feel like there's a part about a finger on a trigger and I think it might be sexual. I don't know. It's like having your hand on your wand. <laughs> My brother is a huge lifelong Beatles fan. I'm gonna need a Tim Ruling on his Happiness daughter is, one is a huge Beatles fan too. Is Anna Kate a Beatles oh, fan? Oh yeah, she has been because Tim's been exposing it to her since she was in utero. Damn! What's your favorite Beatles song of all time? You know, I don't dislike the Beatles, oh, but my. I'm also not like some huge Beatles fanboy. Oh, you know, shout out to uh, Christina and Discord. Oh, yeah. She loves Beatles the Beatles. Yes. Um, I really like The Fool on the Hill. Oh, I don't think I know and that even one. Even though it's really sad. God. My brother used to listen to that song so much when we were growing up. You know it? No. Day after day, alone on the hill, the man with the foolish grin is sitting perfectly still. It started off a little Morrissey. Just now when you did it. <laughs> Don't put me out. How could you say I go about things wrong? Why? I don't think that's the lyrics. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> those are not the you lyrics. You never know if it's Paul's grandfather. Huh? <laughs> very clean old man. It's very clean old man. My favorite Beatles song is uh, Golden Slumbers. 
Once there was a way to get back homeward. Oh. Once there was a way to get back home. Sleep pretty dark. That is a really freaking pretty song. Beautiful song. You know my favorite wing song? Love, take me down to the street. To the street. (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. I really love, you guys have to check this out. Rufus Wayne. Absolutely anything we have Rufus Wainwright. But sure. Rufus Wainwright's cover of Across the Universe. It's a beautiful cover. Now, the movie Across the Universe. Garbage. Was the biggest steaming pile I've ever seen in my life. I hate that and movie. people like it. I know. Some people, it's like their favorite movie. I know. It's, I feel like we just made a lot of enemies I just was, now. So this is going to be a very polarizing thing for the Foxies. Yeah. I was laughing out loud when I saw it in the theater. Like the first 10 minutes, I was laughing out loud and looking around like, does anyone else see how absolutely bad this is? It's not great. This is coming from someone who spent his morning watching Virgin River season two. Okay, Okay. listen, I like a lot of horrible things. And so maybe my crap taste isn't the best opinion, but I... I detest that movie. This is one of the first things that we bonded over because... Like this movie came out around the time when we started dating and like all of our friends, you know, all of our like theater kid friends were like losing their minds over this movie. And we were both like, you know, just to save face, we're like, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. And then privately, we were both just like, oh, my God, there is a girl named Prudence (sighs) and she's in a closet. Mm-hmm. And they're singing, dear Prudence, won't oh, you come Jesus. out to play? Jesus but Christ. she also is in the closet with I her know. sexuality, but she's in an actual closet. Like, listen, can you please listen. stop spoon feeding me the Beatles version of Rent? Listen, I, you know this about me. I do not enjoy a heavy handed metaphor. Right. Because you feel like it's what I always call a rub and tug. Yes. Like, stop assuming that the audience is so dumb that you have to, like, beat them over the head with the message. Do not give me a heavy-handed metaphor. And listen, I know you are super sick of hearing about the show I've been binge-watching, and I'm not even going to name it, and I'm whatever. I will give you a, a great example. I was watching an episode of a TV show recently, and there was a callback to a moment that had been mentioned three episodes before in a throwaway conversation, seemingly insignificant. And I said to myself, so help me God, if they bring up that conversation and don't just let this reference be what it is, I'm going to be so mad because this is so beautiful. And they did not bring it up. Because they didn't have to, because they don't think their audience is dumb. And I almost stood up in the living room and applauded because I was like, thank you, God. Don't throw it away like that. I hate a heavy-handed metaphor. Anyway, we're getting off track. There's a great documentary about the Laurel Canyon sound. Ooh, I love that documentary. Yes. And Laurel Canyon is, I think it's north of L.A., and this is where the sound like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young came from. Jackson Brown, mm. Dolls is heavily influenced by mm-hmm. the Laurel Canyon sound. But a lot of it is about the birds and Graham Parsons and stuff. Sure. The birds, the Beatles and the Beach Boys were all fans of each other. Lots of bees. Yeah, they were all fans of each other's bands. Makes sense. And what I think it's in this documentary that talks about the one time where they all got a chance to hang out. Oh. Because... 
The Beach Boys were in California. The Birds were in California. The Beatles came over to the States and they got to hang out. And apparently they got hung up. Um, well, I'm sure. Yeah. Did you also know that James Taylor was the first artist that the Beatles ever signed to their Apple record label? I did not know that. Yeah. And James Taylor said he was not a very good influence on the Beatles, like drug, <laughs> drugs wise. And James Taylor, like, seems like such a pure boy, you know? Like, he had a, a really bad heroin problem. Oh, my. Oh, my. But he's been clean for many years, and he's doing quite well. That's great. I, I love James Taylor as a person. I just, I'm not, I don't like James Taylor's music. I'm so sorry. This is sorry. a polarizing thing in our marriage. It really is. It really is. And actually really relates to my marriage lesson this week. Okay. I'm going to come back full circle on the James Taylor discussion. All right. Well, let's talk about the Beatles. Let's talk about the Beatles, the mate. The bigger than Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. We're covering one chapter again. We're on a, a single chapter roll. Yes. But not so much this week because there was necessarily so much in this chapter, although there's so lot, but more because the next chapter is really long. Yeah. We're definitely in a stretch where the chapters are just page wise mm-hmm. oh lengthy we're covering chapter 25 the beetle at bay the beetles the beetles at the bay my you're reading first harry's question was answered the very next morning when hermione's daily prophet arrived she smoothed it out gazed for a moment at the front page and then gave a yelp that caused everyone in the vicinity to stare at her i suppose said harry watching rita balancing the quick quotes quill at the ready on the parchment between them Fire away then, Rita, said Hermione serenely, fishing a cherry out from the bottom of her glass. Woo! We begin this chapter with, fortunately, the immediate payoff of knowing what had put Voldemort in such a good mood from the end of the previous chapter. Yes. Ten prisoners have escaped from Azkaban. Oh, God. One of them is Bellatrix Lestrange. Not great news. Who we know was in prison for torturing neville's parents yeah also antonin dolomov or something dolomov dolomov who we've heard his name before yeah augustus rookwood who we definitely have heard that name before yes we have but 10 total one witch and nine wizards Mm -hmm. have broken out of azkaban man the death eaters are a real boys club yeah of course (laughs) and the daily prophet is like oh you know they're all gonna go rally around Sirius." yeah so let's talk about this article that's written because fudge is quoted there's a couple of things that i made a note of so for one thing fudge has informed the muggle prime minister is this the first time we get mentioned that fudge is in communication with the muggle prime minister I guess maybe it's mentioned in Prisoner of Azkaban that he has no... No, yeah, it's mentioned then because it's on the Muggle news that Sirius Black has escaped. But it's just kind of another little nod that there is some communication there. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. For national security. For sure. On both sides. For sure. And Fudge is saying, well, they're rallying around Black. You know, after all, Bellatrix Lestrange and him are our cousins. It's just such a load of crap. Remember when Harry was like, why isn't anything happening? Mm-hmm. The Dark Lord has returned. There's, there's literally nothing in the news. He even literally mentioned the news and was like, there, there's nothing. Right. No one seems to be freaking out about this. Plus, right. like, why isn't he making any moves? Yeah. Now we're starting to see moves are being made. Yeah. There was the 
a rest of Sturgis Podmore, which yeah. is like, hmm, what the hell's going on right now? Yeah. There's the Dolores Umbridge coming into Hogwarts and changing things. Yeah. I'm just talking about all those suspicious things going on. Yeah. Then you have the attack on Arthur Weasley. Right. Now you have 10 prisoners escaped from Azkaban. Yeah. And then we're about to learn the next thing in the same newspaper, but back on page 10, which is this unspeakable that yeah. worked for the Department of Ministries. Mysteries. Or mystery, the Department of Mysteries within the Ministry of Magic. Right. Who was killed. Yeah. Because freaking Nicky Tootills sent him a freaking present. <laughs> Nicky Tootills, man. He sent him a potted plant, but it was devil's snake. So, Broderick Bode. Yeah. Was in, he was one of the cats that was in the room with Lockhart when everyone was at St. Dingbats, right? <laughs> and it looked like it was some other kind of whippy weed or something kind of whippy fun. Whippy weed? Some kind of fun plant. But it turns out it was Devil's Snare. Yeah. Somebody purposely sent that Devil's Snare to choke this man. Yeah. Now, there was a healer named Miriam Strout. Okay. She's the one who, like, was like, oh, you got a present, love. It looks like a plant. Well, it's aloe, isn't it? Okay. okay. <laughs> and we find out he was an unspeakable. Why was he in the hospital in the first place? Or in England, they would say in hospital. In hospital. So let's go back and, and let's retrace our bowed steps. So Ron mentions later in this chapter that he reminds us as the reader that we have encountered Bode before a couple of times. We met Bode a couple of times with Arthur. Once when Arthur was in hospital, mm -hmm. they were sharing a room initially when they went to see Arthur. Yes. When they also had the the guy who was a... a recently bitten by a werewolf. Remember, Arthur mm -hmm. had a couple of other occupants. There was the werewolf guy, and then there was Bode. And I feel like that's when we find out why he was in the hospital. It says a workplace accident three weeks prior. Yeah. Now, this is what I'm wondering. Did he have his quote-unquote workplace accident at the same time that Arthur was attacked by the snake? Ride the snake. Ride the snake. <laughs> that will never die. I don't know that we know that. At this See, time. something's going down with this whole situation. I don't feel good about it. So here's the thing with Bode. And, and this was sort of blowing up on the Discord. Because when Bode's name started coming up, especially when we first encountered Arthur in hospital and Bode was mentioned, there was some debate on my part of, do I point out to you that Bode is sharing a room with Arthur because we met Bode in the lifts at Harry's ministry hearing. But first of all, who the hell is going to remember Broderick Bode from the lift? You get so many of these names. You know, exactly. Vivian Waxlips and all this, you know, his right. Tommy Two Tails and all that. You can't remember all of You cannot remember all of that. And I feel like... I, these are the kind of moments where I'm put in a little bit of a tricky spot, because if I point it out to you, then your ears are perked up that something 
is maybe worth paying attention to here. And then you're robbed of some of that surprise, you know, like, and I did this accidentally for you at the end of the last book with Mrs. Fig, because I forgot that Arabella Fig being a squib and being a member of the Order of the Phoenix is actually a little bit of a reveal. Because I've read these books so many times, mm-hmm. I forgot that they do give you that as a, a little bit of a treat, a reveal at the beginning of this book. So I said, oh, remember, remember, it's Mrs. Fig at the end of book four. And I sort of robbed you of that. Yeah. And so I was being kind of extra cautious and didn't point that out to you. I'm glad I didn't. I think that was the right move. But I've been deliberately holding back on Bode. <laughs> Matthew Broderick Bode. Matthew Broderick Bode. <laughs> So we see Hagrid again. Yes. And Hagrid is on probation because (sighs) for obvious reasons, he didn't do that well when he was being inspected. I love his moment when he's like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you knew this, but that inspection didn't go very well. And he's kind of beat up. Again. He's got scars and things on his face. And they're fresh. This is really weird. So these are, these are not wounds that like still haven't healed. These are fresh cuts. This ain't from Giant Town. This is something else. Right. And then I feel in my notes, I just have sort of like, there's a lot of murmurs happening. (laughs) This to me is really reminiscent of the second book when the Chamber of Secrets was opened. And a lot of pockets of people just sort of murmuring about their own theories. So there are rumors flying. Where are the escaped Death Eaters? Because when the news first broke in the book, the students didn't really seem to know a lot about this. The teachers knew, but Hermione's like the only nerd that gets the daily profit at breakfast every day. The other students are not like reading the paper. She's such a dork. I love it. But we have like a super in my opinion, really sad passage about how some of these students, I mean, these are people that have been in prison the entirety of their lives. And are out now. And are out now. One of the rumors is that they're all hanging out at the Shrieking Shack. Right. Waiting for orders from Sirius to do something shady. Jesus Christ. And remember, like, we know that Sirius Black is the rapscallion uncle holed up in Grimald Place. They don't know that. And the biggest thing, this has to do with what you're about to talk about with these students, mm-hmm. is that the rumors they're hanging out at the Shrieking Shack and they're about to break in to Hogwarts. Can you imagine how terrified you would be as a student? You'd just be like constantly on edge. The person that like killed or tortured your parents has broken out of prison and could be attacking you at your school? That would be horrible. That'd be absolutely horrible. The passage I'm talking about or, or the the part that I'm talking about, I just kind of want to read directly from the text. It's a couple of paragraphs long. Those who came from wizarding families had grown up hearing the names of these Death Eaters spoken with almost as much fear as Voldemort's. The crimes they had committed during the days of Voldemort's reign of terror were legendary. There were relatives of their victims among the Hogwarts students who now found themselves the unwilling objects of a gruesome sort of reflected fame as they walked the corridors. Susan Bones, whose uncle, aunt, and cousins had all died at the hands of one of the ten, said miserably during Herbology that she now had a good idea of what it felt like to be Harry. Oh, Jesus. And the teachers are talking. Yeah. And they're chatting, but they can't say anything around old Umbridge. 
So they're sort of meeting up in little circles and stuff. This was like, you know, kind of like these weird tragedies that happen mm-hmm. while you're in high school or even like middle school or elementary school. And the teachers are like trying not to freak you out, but yeah. they're all like kind of meeting up in the hallways talking and stuff. Yeah. And so Umbridge ain't having none of this. Of course not. So she posts up educational decree number 26. Of course. Which says... Teachers are hereby banned from giving students any information that is not strictly related to the subjects they are paid to teach. Which. Like, you can't talk to kids about anything except the subject that you teach. Which, how ridiculous is this? How ridiculous. And the fact that this is such a absurd, restrictive, Lee Jordan catches the flaw in this language in just a second. It just goes to show you how much of a knee-jerk panic kind of move this was from Umbridge. Yeah. As a response to a real change in tone of what's happening in the majority around. Yeah. This is a microcosm for, I I think it's safe to assume at this point, the wizarding world as a whole. Yes. There's and a shift. Lee Jordan tries to buck up to Dolores Umbridge. Fucking, this is so freaking yes, awesome. Yes, I love Lee Jordan. So Umbridge tells Fred and George that they can't play Exploding Snap in the back of the class. Exploding Snap's got nothing to do with defense against the dark arts, Professor. That's not information relating to your subject. Exactly. And then Harry sees him with, like, scars on the back of his hand where clearly he's had, like, the non-suicidal self-injury torture porn detention. <laughs> I'm not sure when it became torture porn, but sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I I get what you mean. But the porn part is is a little um, strange. Uh, And now this woman is at every Care of Magical Creatures class and every single um, divination class. So Hagrid and Trelawney are both on thin ice. They're both about to get canned. They're going to get canned. They're going to get sacked. They're going to get sacked. They're going to get sacked. Well, it's kind of, and and I don't really know that it's super clear why they know this to be true, but they know that like one of them's going to get sacked. Yeah. They just don't know like which one. It's to prove a point, I think. Okay. Dolores is going to use one of them as a sacrificial lamb to be like, Mm. see, nobody's safe here. Right. Right. And... As anybody would, except for, like, maybe the legend that is McGonagall, both of them, Trelawney and Hagrid, that is, are freaking all nerves during every class. And they're being observed slash inspected every single class now. Every single class. And it's not even like she, Umbridge, that is, like, sits in the back of the class and just, like, quietly takes notes and observes. She, like interrogates them she heckles them she heckles them she literally heckles them the entire time like can you imagine so i'm trying to think about like my doing my job and if someone was just like sitting there heckling me i would eventually well i would just eventually start crying that would be my response i heckle myself that's true. You do heckle yourself. I'm not really a self-heckler. I'm not really in danger of that. But if someone else did it, I would just start crying and be like, why are you being so mean to me? I don't understand. <laughs> did you happen to notice that uh, Trelawney has potentially turned to the cooking sherry as a means of coping? Yeah. 
she's taking the route of old. What's the little wimpy poo? Uh, what's what? her name? The little elf lady, Winky. Winky, wimpy yeah. poo. You remember how Winky started hitting the sauce? She, yeah, that was Butterbeer, I think. Right? No, Winky was getting drunk. Remember this whole I thing? I know, but on Butterbeer, which, yeah. you know, the, the alcohol content of Butterbeer has been kind of weirdly ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But apparently for house elves, it's it's intoxicating. Cooking sherry has always been one of those, like, um, knowledge blind spots for me. Like, I don't, I mean, I, re- I recognize it's alcohol, but, like, is it? Is it liquor? Like, I don't understand what it is. It's like wine. It's cooking wine. Oh, so it's like regular. Is it like wine? Like you, It's specifically for cooking. Like you can buy cooking sherry. What is it about it that makes it specifically for cooking, though? That's what I'm not understanding. Oh, but okay. it does have alcohol in it. Okay. So it's strong. I'm strong enough, I guess. I don't know. You want to get some? Okay. Put it on the grocery list. All right, let's do it. Let's 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 pull a Trelawney. In all seriousness, though, this is very sad, and it makes me very sad for her. So HP decides he's just going to focus on the DA, the Dumbledore's army. Yes. The defense against the dark arts. Yes. The big da. The big da. It's the only thing that brings him joy. Yeah, Neville has become super freaking serious now. Let's talk about Neville. One is the fact that now the other kids know about his parents. The Golden Trio, he knows that they know about his parents now. So that's a weird different shift. Yes. And two, she's out. Bellatrix is out. She Mm. has escaped. She could be busting into Hogwarts any minute. So Neville's like, Screw this, dude. I got to arm myself. He's being very serious and he's getting really good. I love, I love this. And I'm trying to like psychologically put myself in his shoes. And I feel like if the torturer of my parents was suddenly out, like there would be anger and like a want for revenge. And a fear and a need to protect myself, but also like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of layers to that emotion. Yeah. And he's ready for war. He's freaking ready. And remember my prophecy from, I think, last episode, Neville is going to be instrumental in defeating the Dark Lord. It was a couple episodes ago, but you've been nailing the prophecies lately in terms of like these big series long, like epic prophecies. And that was a really... That was a major one recently. So, yeah, I love this. And I love that Neville is taking these really fiery emotions that I think can be really destructive for a lot of people and can lead to very destructive behaviors. And for him, it's literally making it's turning into rapid improvement. Yeah, that's what that's manifesting as. It's awesome. Meanwhile, Harry is sucking at occlumency. He is not doing well. His scar is hurting all the time. Literally all the time. He's feeling these little random bubbles of emotion from Voldemort. Like, all of a sudden, he feels really cheerful or, like, really pissed off or something. Can you imagine? He's, like, having mood swings, but he can tell that it's related to, like, what Voldemort's feeling at the time. So not only is Harry feeling like he's not getting any better at occlumency... And we talked a lot last week about how Snape is not giving 
any practical advice about how right. to get better at all clemency. But he feels like this practice is making this permeability worse. Mm-hmm. It's making his mind more open. He keeps seeing this vision of the corridor. He He's feeling like the emotion of frustration of not getting through the door is more real and tangible. And he's yeah. feeling it when he's awake, too, yeah. which is interesting. And Ron has an interesting contribution to this conversation. Yeah, he says maybe Snape is opening your mind even wider. Which, to let Voldemort in even more. Remember I said that he's serving two masters? Yep. He's doing what Dumbledore wants to do, teaching the kid occlumency, but he's doing Voldemort's work by opening the kid's mind. Yeah. Ron's like, hey, he was a freaking Death Eater. Yep. You know? And Hermione comes <sighs> in with the thing that everyone says. Everyone says all this. All the time in this series, which is Dumbledore trust him, and if we can't trust Dumbledore... We can't trust anyone. Right. Right. And I literally, I will have you know, I wrote in my book, just like Kev said last week. I wrote that in my book. Yeah. I mean, it's, you. as I'm trying to put myself in your shoes as a first time reader. And like, if I were you, I would be very tired by this line. Yes. Right. Is that what you're, <clears throat> you're yeah. feeling tired of it? <laughs> At this point, Dumbledore trusts him. We trust Dumbledore. Yada, 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 yada. It's there's you can't say it's this infallibility of Dumbledore that drives me crazy. Okay. Like, oh, if Dumbledore was absolutely so trustworthy, yes, of course you can trust him. I trust that Dumbledore's on the side of good. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have oversight or make mistakes or sometimes not see something coming, that sort of stuff. Let's not forget, he still almost shit his pants in the hallway when he found the room of requirement. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, he is a human being and humans are inherently flawed. And humans need to poop. (laughs) And so that argument is inherently flawed. If you had a room of requirement that was a poop room... What would be your perfect poop palace? My perfect poop palace. Oh, my. Um, I don't know. I mean. What if you had like a nice cushioned seat that you could poop on? Oh. Like imagine like a fancy potty cap. Now, they don't make cloth potty caps because it's gross. It's holding too much it's bacteria disgusting. and you can't clean it, you know? I've never, but you know, they make the, you know, where it's like a. Those foam uh, ones that uh, old people uh, use. Oh, I hate it. And you sit on it and it like, you <laughs> kind of fall into it and then you get up and it's stuck to your butt. I hate it. I hate it. Let me ask you this because this is so on topic. As It's my on brand at least. Are. Yes. Remember the, tr- the, uh, Chairs at school that would make your butt itch. <laughs> yes. Those plastic chairs. I know exactly. And the they would make mean. your butt itch so bad. Why? And you're just, uh, did you ever experience this yes. butt itch? Yes. And you're like moving, moving. But why? Moving this cheek. You're moving why this do cheek. They do and you're it? like, oh God, oh God, why is my butt itching so bad? Why does this happen? This is also, I don't know if this is the case for you, but this is also a phenomenon at like, you know, like a lawn seat 
for a concert, like when you're sitting on like, I mean, you have a blanket down, but yeah. like sitting on the lawn. Makes your butt itch so bad. Oh my God. And then like, you know, you get a couple beers deep and you start giving zero fucks and you just scratch your butt. Like if it yeah. itches, you're just going to scratch it. Why do you think libraries make you need to poop? <laughs> that is, n- uh, that's where my relate factor is ending. You don't. You no. never heard of this? Libraries no. Make you need to poop? No. My entire childhood, me and my brother, if we go to the public <laughs> library what? on like either my mom would take us or anything, as soon as I walk in there, I need to poop. What is wrong to this with day, you? If you drop me off right now at the public library and I walked in that place, five minutes in, I would need to poop. I. Uh, this uh, is such a phenomenon that Jerry Seinfeld actually put it in one of his bits in a stand-up special. There's he was, no way this said, is true. Why do libraries make you need to poop? There's no way they this is true. They should just no. take out one of the bookshelves and just put a whole s- string of stalls there. There's no way. There's no way. Okay, this is this is a shared delusion. Between me and Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> and my brother? <laughs> no, like, maybe this is a shared delusion between men because you and I and I think I'm pretty sure knowing us we've talked about it on the show before actually but there is a weird gender difference between poop behavior yes. among men and women because poop culture you have told me about like I guess it's a thing with a lot of men who have like pooped their pants and <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't know that I would say you've led me to believe it's a common occurrence, but like we had a conversation one time. I think this is like the first time this came up and you were like, yeah, like the you brought it up very casually. And the implication was that every man has like sharded himself at least once. Yeah. And you were saying this as though this was like a human experience. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I do not think that I am alone in saying that I have never sharded in public. But you said that like every male that you know has a shart story. Shart week. I think that's really weird. So Chris has a great story about his dad when he was a teenager. His dad pulls into the garage. Like he hears the garage door open. His dad pulls the car and he's honking the horn. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. And he's yelling something, right? Chris like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, I think he was like sitting eating Taco Bell with his friend at the counter. <laughs> okay, well, problem like, number in the, one. In the kitchen, right? No, they, Chris wasn't pooping his pants. Just <laughs> wait for it. It's his dad that pulls in and he yells at his mom, get my robe. Get my robe. I'm shitting myself. <laughs> what? <laughs> What? He was like on the way home <gasps> trying to make it home and he just he didn't make it. And I'm he, sorry. He pooped himself. This makes no sense to me. This makes no sense to me. That I don't and listen, listen. It's one thing if you have a medical condition. Yeah. But you don't have a medical condition. No. But I've sharded. I don't understand this. I don't get this. I also do not remember how we got on this topic at all. Oh, yeah. Dumbledore. Always. We, will this stay in or be edited out? Time it, will tell. Oh, it'll stay. It'll it'll stay. I, I think the people deserve to know. Turd Ferguson. Turd, turd Ferguson. Okay. So this is something that people may not know about me. 
um, what's his name? Who who played uh, Burt Reynolds on Celebrity Jeopardy on SNL back in the day? Norm McDonald. Norm McDonald is my all-time favorite SNL yeah, cast member. Yeah, kind of talks like that. I man. love Norm McDonald. I think he was like the funniest human being on the planet. <laughs> love him. Turd Ferguson. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny to say. <laughs> So one thing we forgot to bring up okay. at the beginning of the chapter oh, Lord. before we went down to Shartsville. Sure, as we uh, tend to we do. got into day three of Shart Week. Yes. Is that Hermione had this like light bulb moment. As she does. At the beginning of this chapter. And she's like, ooh. And she goes off to write a letter. She's like, yeah. I need to send a letter. And you're like, who's she sending a letter to? She ain't dumb enough to send it to Sirius. Right. I don't know what she's doing. Yeah. But she gets a letter back. Yes. On the morning of Valentine's Day, she gets a reply. Yeah. She gets this letter and she's like, sweet. I got the reply I wanted. Do you guys want to meet up at the Three Broomsticks when we go to Hogsmeade for Valentine's Day weekend, which is Cho and Harry's little date? Yes. She's like, Harry, this is important. Can you come to Three Broomsticks at midday? And Harry's like, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm. I'm technically on a date. Right. So. Like, I don't really know how these things work because I'm a robot boy. So and Hermione's so like, awkward. look, oh, God, it's we have to get into the awkward. But Hermione's like, look, bring Cho if you need to. It's fine. You you have to be there. I don't care if Cho is there. Whatever. He's like, yeah, sure. Fine. Sure. And we don't know what that's about. But this is like at this point in book five, like we're kind of used to this from Hermione. She often is like. And runs off. Yeah. But it's never nothing. Right. It's generally pretty damn significant. <laughs> it's never nothing. So before we talk about this date, there is a, a, a little passage that I, I just put brilliantly written, so familiar. And this is when Harry is walking towards Cho. They're about to depart for, the, mm -hmm. for Hogsmeade on their little date. And it says... <laughs> She was waiting for him a little to the side of the oak front doors, looking very pretty with her hair tied back in a long ponytail. Harry's feet, I'm sorry, just, just so funny to me. Harry's feet seemed to be too big for his body as he walked towards her, and he was suddenly horribly aware of his arms and how stupid they must look swinging at his sides. <laughs> I just think this is so relatable. And it reminded me of how every time we watch something on TV or we watch a movie where people are dancing, I always say... Dancing is so weird. I'm always like, dancing is so weird. This is something you say all the time. Dancing is so weird. The thing about it is two people face each other and they just like move their bodies. What's it matter? I mean, don't get me wrong. I like it. I like yeah. it, but it's weird. And so anyway... I just, I get this feeling so Being much. so super self-conscious of like how you're walking. Yes. It's like, have you ever, for whatever reason, become aware of your own stride? All the time. <laughs> Constantly. It's never turned off. And you're like, I don't know what to do with my arms. I work in a warehouse that's like, it's an office space. But it's just essentially the size of like a big grocery store. Yeah. And then it just has desks, not even cubicles, desks that are spaced really far apart. 
when I walk into work in the morning or walk into lunch or leave for lunch or whatever, I have to walk across the whole dance floor, right? Like every single person that works there has to watch every single other person come in. Now, if you just came in the front door and you're, desk was like real like really close to the door yeah you just come in and sit down oh god but i have to like walk all the way across and sometimes occasionally maybe i'm in my own head and i don't think about it but generally i'm thinking like why is my shoe squeaking (laughs) why is my shoe squeaking my left shoe is squeaking everybody's hearing everyone's hearing my shoe squeak (laughs) these shoes i have on right now i do not wear them to work anymore because the left one goes me 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 and I also have one leg shorter than the other one. So I can't walk normally anyway. I have sort of this weird, like, you know. I'm sorry. It's not funny. This weird gait. It's not, it's not funny. But I think part of the reason why I fall over as much as I do is because I don't think I'm aware enough of. Right. It, it would do you some good to be a little <laughs> bit more aware of how you're moving. I think I do. But to me, it's like the. The person who has it the hardest is like the runway model because everyone is looking at them. Can you know, imagine? I have a sick Dior, French Dior. <laughs> Why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> Maybe we'll post a video. We will. I'll do but- my. Uh, I'll do my Dior and my French Dior. I took a modeling class when I was a kid. Yeah, you did. Not that I was trying to be a model, but I went to this arts camp when I was you know, 11 years old. And one of the classes you had to take was modeling. And for all I know, we only had one class, like one hour ever of this class. But I want to say it was like maybe once a week or something for like half an hour. But the only thing I remember from modeling class is the runway walk. And it's a turn at the end of the runway. One's called a Dior and the other one's called a French Dior. And he breaks this up. A lot. <laughs> I generally do this when I'm hamming it up in front of a large group of people that have been drinking. And I'm like, oh, I've got something to show you. But you and your brother bring this up around each other a lot. And, and then you, we both start doing and it. you both do it. But what's hilarious about this is that you're both like jokey, ha ha. But, but we take you, it very seriously. You are actually competing against each other because I can see it in your eyes. Yes. I can see the competition in your eyes and you both like get real, like you have, you put on a model face. The little like over the shoulder glance to the audience and then come back. It's ridiculous. And I love it. Oh my God. Anyway, enough about Harry's runway walk and Kevin's runway walk. Right. So HP and Cho are at Hogsmeade and Cho brings up a really good point. There's no Dementors. Right. We've right. got 10 people escape from Azkaban mm-hmm. and not one Dementor. Right. And this is a great observation, which, you know, brings up a lot of, I think, kind of like broad points. Yeah. The Dementors are clearly no longer under the ministry's control right. here. Right. That's how the prisoners were able to escape anyway. Exactly. The Dementors let them escape because they're serving Lord Voldemort now. They're not going to go looking for the people they let escape. Right. I mean, these are 10 people that just got out of Azkaban two books ago. It was 
a huge effing deal that Sirius Black broke out of Azkaban, the first person in history to do so, not really because Barney Crouch Jr. really was, but we didn't know that at the time. Right. And now 10 people have done it. Clearly, the Dementors let this happen and they're not looking for them. On a smaller scale, I think it's really easy for a lot of people when they read this chapter and this book and these books to, and I'm not saying you ever would, but to dismiss Cho as a silly girl or as Harry's love interest or blah, blah, blah. Cho is freaking smart. Yeah. She's observant. She's also like not awkward at all. Yeah, she's a very confident young lady. She's very confident. She's the one who's like actually good at making conversation on their walk there. She brings up Quidditch. You know, she keeps the conversation going, but she makes this really solid observation, which is something that, you know, the boy who lived, who's teaching all of them defense against the dark arts, it had like literally not occurred to him until Cho brought it up. Yeah. Cho Chang does not get nearly enough credit in this series, period. Love her. So they're walking around. It's starting to rain. It's kind of crappy, rainy February Scotland. Yeah. So Cho's like, hey, do you want to get a coffee? They go into the coffee shop because this is the world where teenagers drink coffee. Like, I'm sorry. Like, growing up, teenagers did not drink coffee. Well, it was like, now it's like a thing where, like, 12-year-old kids, like, wake up and drink coffee. Like, what's going on with this coffee for kids movement? Well, I also, like... The relationship between the British and coffee is not something I fully understand either. You know, because yeah. I mean, it's mostly tea, but like coffee is a treat. I think co- the relationship between coffee is the same. Is it? Yes. Really? Yeah, it's freaking coffee. People wake up in the morning, they're like, I want my freaking cup of coffee. I don't know. I think it's yeah. tea. No, I asked Matt from Yorkshire. When we first started talking about tea years ago, mm-hmm. I said, so do you not drink coffee? And he's like, of course I drink coffee. Okay. Like everybody else. Tea is different. Okay. Tea all is right. like, let's have a cuppa. All right. Maybe. All right. Coffee is life. Cuppa is a cuppa. I mean, coffee's my life, but sure. I don't even drink it anymore, so I don't know. Yeah. So they go to Madam Puttyfoot's. Madam Puttyfoots, which right. is a great name for a cat also. And I think their next cat should be called Madam Puttyfoot. They sit down and it's all these couples are like making out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The place is decorated for Valentine's Day. And there's these little cherub cupid things like flying above each table, throwing confetti down and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, oh, great. This is like make out central. People yeah. are like holding hands. Does she want me to hold her hand? Is that what this is about? It's awkward. You got Roger Davies who's like tongue kissing his girlfriend a foot away. Roger Davies is kind of the man of Hogwarts. And Joe said he asked me out like two weeks ago. Also, remember, if I'm not mistaken, Roger Davies is the one that took Fleur to the Yule Ball in book four, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Like, he he gets around. Do you think that she was defleured by him? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Maybe he was, was defleured by her. Maybe he was Yule Ball deep. Honey. <laughs> okay, okay. My, these are children. So we get this conversation. Harry's like, should I hold her hand? What's going on? This is awkward. And then Cho just drops this bomb out of nowhere. She's like, did Cedric mention me before he died? Back up, back up, back up, back up. I am here to defend 
the honor of this young lady. She did not drop this out of nowhere. Let's rewind. Okay. Harry James Potter cast the first stone. That's the wrong metaphor. But he's the one that screws up here because things are going okay. He doesn't know if he should hold her hand. Sure. Yeah. What happens is he goes, oh, by the way, I'm going to go meet Hermione after this. Dude. He asked her, do you want to come with me to meet Hermione? He says, he's very dismissive. He says, silence fell again. Harry was very conscious of the slurping noises coming from the table next door and cast wildly around for something else to say. Uh, listen, do you want to come with me to the three broomsticks at lunchtime? I'm meeting Hermione Granger there. Cho raised her eyebrows. You're meeting Hermione Granger today? Yeah, well, she asked me to, so I thought I would. Do you want to come with me? She said it wouldn't matter if you did. That's, I mean. Okay. Right. She is, oh, well, that was nice of her. (laughs) So then he's thinking about grabbing her hand. And she says, I came in here with Cedric last year. Yeah. You know, I've been meaning to ask you for ages. Did Cedric, did he mention me at all before he died? Harry's like, well, no, there wasn't time for him to say anything. So do do you uh, watch a lot of Quidditch in the holidays? You support the tornadoes, right? Ooh. And her eyes are welling up with tears. And he's like, hey, let's not talk about Cedric right now. Let's just like talk about something else. Yeah. Cho's like, I thought, she said, tears spattering down onto the table. I thought you'd understand. I need to talk about it. Surely you need to talk about it, too. I mean, you saw it happen, didn't you? Well, I have talked about it, Harry said in a whisper to Ron and Hermione. Oh, you'll talk to Hermione Granger, she said shrilly. But you won't talk to me. Perhaps it'd be best if we just paid and you went up and met with Hermione Granger like you obviously want to. Yeah. And then she's like, go on, leave. I don't know why you asked me out in the first place if you're going to make arrangements to meet other girls right after me. How many are you meeting after Hermione? Yeah. I think this is a a cascade, avalanche, snowball, whatever we want to call it, of a lot of assumptions and unsaid things happening in each of their minds. Yeah. That are incorrect, but not unfounded. And not coming out of nowhere, right? I mean, I think from Cho's perspective, she has no reason to not assume that Harry and Hermione aren't smashing, right? Like, maybe not smashing, but at least like (laughs) into each other. Why would she not know that, right? Like, why would she totally know that they're totally platonic and totally friends and like... right? She has no reason to not assume that he's got three dates lined up for the day. Yeah. He does not have any reason to assume that that's what's happening in her head. To me, it's like he fell into a trap. I don't really like how this is set up. One, you asked me out months ago, mm-hmm. months ago. It's Valentine's Day. It's a Hogsmeade weekend. Maybe we can hang out. She's setting it up as like, this is a date. Mm -hmm. And he's like, wow, she actually likes me. This is a date. 
Then they go on the date and she's like, hey, remember the dead guy that I dated? Did he say anything to me before he died? Like, this is not shit you talk about at a date. It seems like this is what it feels like to Harry. This is what I would feel like if I was Harry. Yeah. All of this whole date, you like me shit, was all just set up so that you could just ask me about if Cedric mentioned you before he died because your ego won't let it alone that Cedric might have not thought about you of all people before he was killed by Satan himself. Okay. And if I'm Cho in this moment, then I'm sitting there at this table wishing you'd reach over and hold my damn hand. I took you to a romantic place. There are other talking about my dead boyfriend. Hang on. I haven't finished yet. <laughs> interrupting man. <laughs> Wishing you would hold my hand. I'm surrounded by other couples. This is a romantic place. It's Valentine's Day. I'm not really sure how many other hints I can drop. And then you open your mouth and you go, hey, I'm going to meet my, my my side piece later. Do you want to tag along? She said she didn't really care. If you hang on, I'm not done. I ain't done yet. And, you know, I mean, if you want to come, that's cool. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, well... All right. If you have a side piece, then uh, okay. Um, other guys are interested in me too. Um, Roger Davies, for instance, he asked me here uh, a couple weeks ago. I said no, and and Cedric, Cedric, I dated Cedric too. You know that that's where her head is. She's had months to find out, like whether or not he's dating Hermione or not. And then she's accused of snooping around behind his back. She can't win I in just this. feel like you've had months of, like, making this guy think that you like him. She him does out, like asking him. Asking him out on this date. But if you had all these issues with thinking that he's seen somebody else, you should have addressed that, either with Harry or with Hermione, or she should have asked some other people and said, hey, are those two friends or are they dating? Before you went on the first date and just accused him, like, that's insane. I also think we're assuming we have a 15-year-old girl who is in an emotionally totally okay place. Right, yeah, and that's yeah, that's a good point. really unfair. We are talking about teenagers here. Not just teenagers. We're talking about a 15-year-old girl whose boyfriend was murdered. Yeah. And... This is a girl who's been trying to move on. And I think she's been trying to move on in a way that she thinks is healthy. And she really likes this boy. And I think she liked Harry long before Cedric was ever murdered. Yeah. But Cedric got to her first. And she kind of liked Cedric too. And so she gave it a chance. And then Cedric was murdered. Yeah. And so then she, just like Hermione, her whole spiel in the common room, she's like, she feels all these things. And we we sat here on this podcast and we said, good for Hermione, giving Cho all this credit. And then, and when I say we, I mean the collective we. And then a couple chapters later, we read about Cho because this is what people always do to Cho in this chapter. They go, oh God, Cho cries and Madame Pottyfoots. It's like, then she cries in her tea and makes Harry feel bad and Harry you know, busts out of Madame Puttyfoot's and goes, women. And it's like, we were totally cool with her being emotionally feeling very complicated a couple chapters ago. And now it's not okay that she had a little bit of a moment. To me, it's not that it's not okay that Cho is feeling the things she's feeling. I'm just judging the date. 
It's that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying Shoda's is not allowed to feel all these things. I'm just saying she fucked up a date. So did this he, is though. like going out on a date and being like, so you and your ex-husband, um, I heard your divorce was very bitter. Tell me about that. You'd be like, bro, this is a first date. Like, why would you bring up something like that? I, I think yeah. it's also in Cho's defense. This is the first time she's really had Harry's undivided attention. For sure. And it's probably been on her mind for so long to ask him this. Yeah. That she just kind of like found the opportunity. And then I think Eve, I think partly what might have upset her too is even her realizing like, shit, why did I do that? Like, of course. Why did I drop this bomb? You know? Oh my God. And we also don't know, like we don't know what her girlfriends are like. We know the one girlfriend who seems like a real Ugh. you know, and definitely doesn't seem like the type of girlfriend that she can like get into this type of stuff with. Yeah. She may literally have no one to talk to about this at all. This reminds me of so many situations when I was a teenager. Oh. There was this girl that I was enamored with, right? In ninth grade. She was a senior. I was in ninth grade. Good Lord. It was never going to happen. <laughs> so enamored with this girl. and. You know, chances are she'll never listen to this podcast, so I'm safe. But um, you never know. We did a play together. And during the play, I'm supposed to come greet her. She was like royalty and I was like under and I was supposed to like come bow to her or something. I bought a red rose. And when we did actually perform the play, I did my little bow and then gave her the red rose. She took it as like, oh, that's weird. Like he's using a prop that he never used before. Oh I was taking it as I'm letting you know on stage during this play that I like you as more than a friend. You're right? so dramatic. Right, exactly. <laughs> she totally didn't pick up on it. Okay. So then there's one day that we all like hang out with her and some friends and watch movies and we go walking afterwards. This is over near your old apartment complex where you used to live. Okay. And she holds my hand and I'm like, here we go. I'm in. I'm in like Flynn. So we have a little handhold as we're walking around. I think that she thought I was like adorable and young and like, I think she liked me, but not like I'm going to be in a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. So we went on what I thought was a date, but it was just a like a hangout. We went to the mall together. And at the mall at the time, there was this toy store and the toy store had these little like wind up dinosaurs out front. That went would, to a toy store? This is getting very strange. Yeah. In the mall, you're just walking past the stores, right? Oh, okay. okay. At the very front of the store, they had this little dinosaur that would like walk, walk, walk. And then he'd go, and raise his little brontosaurus head up. Walk, walk, walk. Remember little dogs that used to bark and all this crap toys? Yeah. It was one of those. And she really, really loved it. So, anyway, flash forward. To a little while later, there was a Christmas party that I was invited to. All of the seniors. This is how I got first exposed to like Joy Division and The Cure and LSD and like all these weird things hanging out with these like. This was back before drama kids were dorks. This is when drama kids were like. Joy Division. <laughs> yes. Were like alternative, dark, sort of weird Absolutely, kids. Absolutely. Yes. And I gave her this dinosaur thinking like, 
this is going to blow her mind. That's clever. That I remembered that yeah. she liked this little dinosaur. And then I went back and bought the dinosaur for her. And she was like, oh, my God, that's so cute, a dinosaur. And I'm like, remember when we were at the mall and then like you saw it and you thought it was funny and like we looked at it. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that totally is the same dinosaur. Did Nothing. I soon realized at this party that there's this guy that she likes who likes her. That maybe they've started talking already. Maybe they've been dating. I don't know. But clearly, like, they're, like, coupled up. Like, I went to this party with full intention. She is, like, as nervous as I am. I'm going to blow her away with this dinosaur. She's going to fall in love with me. Everything's going to be fine. And there I was, the kid at the end of the story, Araby, we talked about in that Jesus one episode. Christ. Dropping the coins into my pocket and realizing, like... I misread this entire situation. Like, this is totally not what I thought it is. The reason I bring up all this is because you made a good point of reminding me these are teenagers. Yeah. And there's a lot of conflicting emotions and a lot of, like, thinking something's going on when it might not actually be going on. That's like, I, I'm... You know what else happened to me at that Christmas party? What? They did a secret Santa. And I didn't realize that it was all like gag stuff. Like they've been doing this party for years. I this I is hate, so awkward, Hug. I hate these kinds of things. And no. so the secret Santa, people start opening their gifts and it's like a half bottle of used lotion that somebody wrapped up. Somebody wrapped up a toilet brush. One person had like a can of beef stew. It was like, oh God. And then you're, the whole thing was everybody gives each other crappy presents and then you're trying to steal to get a less crappy present and all I this hate stuff. It. You I know hate what it. I brought? I don't like where this is going. I brought a $10 gift certificate to the record Stop store. It. Stop it. Stop it. Stop I thought, it. I don't. Like, like, these are older kids and they like music no. and I'll impress them with I'm my secret. I'm literally going to stop crying. <laughs> I'm going to start crying. Please stop it. Stop telling this story. I'm going to start crying. I hate things like this. So, I'm going to have a panic attack. Listen, stop it. So, when the dude finally, somebody finally got that and opened it up, they were like, oh, shit, let's see what it is. Oh, wow. It's a $10 gift certificate to the I record I really store. wish you would stop. Well, that's cool. I'm going to keep this. Are you? And the whole room was kind of like quiet. Like, that's not how the game is played. And I was. Mortified. I really wish you would stop telling the story. <laughs> I don't understand like why you relive these things and then you're laughing because it is making me feel so awful. It was super painful at the time, but it's funny looking back on it. <sighs> this how is how naive I was. All of this also is like just confirmation of the ways in which we are so different. But like compatibly different, like you are all grand gestures and like dramatics mm -hmm. and flair, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah, to say but, the least. Hey. <laughs> okay. Great. That's awesome. It's fantastic. So Cho, you know, hits him with this Hermione bit. Why don't you go hang out with this girl? I don't know how many other girls you got lined up. She's, she's going through a lot. 
She storms yes. out of the coffee shop. Yes. Harry's like, women, you know. Ugh. And he's like, well, I'll go ahead and go to the three broomsticks, even though I'm early. Yeah. He walks in. Hagrid is there. Drunk. With his giant tankard of ale. He's got new cuts and bruises and stuff on him. And he's wicked drunk. And he's wicked drunk. And Harry asks him about his bruises. And he's like, oh, you know, it's just like, you know, it's like part of the job. We're both orphans. <laughs> but he's like, ah, seems like we'd both be better off if we had parents that raised us. But we're both orphans. And that's why life sucks. He's so down. Do you remember like when you were young, drunk adults were like, that was so unnerving to me. The only drunk adults I saw when I was a kid were my uncles, and they were really funny. They <laughs> say, hey, man, go on there and go and get your Uncle Danny that on cigarette, man. Stop on them, Danny. Go and get that bull beer, man. He old now. Jesus Christ. Well, my experiences were uncomfortable. So he looks over and he sees what's described as, like, the most unlikely party yeah. <laughs> of three. Hermione... Luna Lovegood, and a, a, a face we haven't seen in a long time. The return of Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter. Lovely Rita Skeeter, mate. We come back to the Beatles. And Rita's, like, not looking as bright and shiny as she has. Yes, because she's unemployed now. She's, she's looking unemployed. a little disheveled. She's unemployed because Hermione has been continuously blackmailing her. Which is something that I'm have a lot to say about because it's Hermione <laughs> just consistently makes me feel really conflicted about things the older I get. Because I as a a younger person reading the series, I'm like, Hermione is just she is a feminist hero. And now as an adult, I'm reading, I'm like, <laughs> But blackmail is not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some ethical questions <laughs> there's here. There's some ethical questions, Hermione. Um, wow. So her whole plan is, <sighs> here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Rita, you will write the article of the truth of Harry Potter saying, these people are Death Eaters. He's naming names. Mm -hmm. This is, um, what do they call it? Uh, whistleblower. Yes. It's like a whistleblowing thing. Like Edward Snowden. Right. He's like, these are the people that are involved. These are the people who are Death Eaters. Yes. The people that escaped, look yes. out for them. Here's the whole truth. He's naming names. And it's like, what? Uh -huh. The prophet is never going to write stuff like that. Hermione's like, no, 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 sister. Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to publish it in The Quibbler. The Quibbler. Luna's dad owns this sort of the Inquirer type of like sort of crap magazine Reed even calls it a rag she's like oh god no one's gonna believe that stuff right Hermione's like enough people will believe it right it'll at least be out there right and so this is a, a good time to kind of remember the timing at which Hermione sent this owl it was right after the Daily Prophet headline of the Azkaban breakout Hermione was like I have to send an owl yeah so this is you know all of the good things about Hermione is she's very clever and she's really brilliant and she can read the writing on the wall and she can think three steps ahead kind of like Dumbledore in a lot of ways really and so she sees this all happen with the breakout and she goes this 
could shift public opinion. She doesn't wait until a few pages later when there is a very defined shift in tone in these murmurs and rumors around the school. She's already... That was a couple pages ago for Hermione. So she already reached out to Rita because she's like, now's the time. Now's the time to strike. Now's the time for me to reach out to Rita because as word gets out of this happening, she knows as she reads the Daily Prophet article and she sees that Fudge is like, they're rallying around Sirius Black. Nobody is going to buy this. And she knows as she reads the Daily Prophet article that the story doesn't make any sense and there are a lot of holes in it. And she can read it objectively and know that the general public just ain't going to buy it. So she says, we're going to fill in those holes. And people are going to go, huh, you know what makes a lot more sense? Right. The story that we've been told is not true. Well said. Right? Yeah. And here's the whole blackmail part. You're going to do this or we're going to tell everybody that you're an unregistered animagus. And here's my issue with this, besides the fact that it's blackmail. You're telling me Harry Potter, who's got a vault full of gold, literally down the street. Yeah. You're telling me you can't at least pay her to write this? You can't. You can't make deals with people like this. She's too dirty. You got to get her in a pinch. You're telling me, though, that you can't at least say you're going to write this article for the quibbler. And if you don't, we're, and if you don't do a good job, and if you don't write it fairly, we're going to tell people you can still do the blackmail part, fine, sure. But you're telling me you still can't compensate her for the work. <laughs> You would make the worst criminal, the worst gangster ever. I'm I'm sorry. Here's here's what I'm going to do, punk. (laughs) Here's the thing. You either tell Nikki Two Tills that you're working for Tommy Three Guns, or I'm going to tell the cops that you got cocaine in your house. No. At the same time, (laughs) let me buy you a sandwich. No. I mean, I'm a good guy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But hey, what you just said, though. I mean, I'm a good guy. I'm sorry. These are the good guys. These are the good guys. When you blackmail someone, you don't also buy them lunch. Hermione and Harry, these these are the good guys. Yeah, and Rita sucks. She doesn't deserve to be compensated for anything. Okay, she's also, at what point has someone been punished enough? That's You're very compassionate towards Rita. That's what I'm saying, though. And also, you still get the blackmail. She still doesn't get to work anymore. She still gets to be unemployed and poor uh, yeah, and okay, punished in perpetuity. I see. You're the, telling I me see the reason you want them to pay her is because she's unemployed and she doesn't have any money. Like, right. I, I, okay. I kind of like get that. Like, I guess I'm just like, <laughs> to me, the really unnecessary part is when she's like, when Rita goes, <laughs> Rita literally says, um, Rita Skeeter looked as though the taste of stink sap was strong in her mouth again as she rounded on Hermione. I'm supposed to do this for free? Well, yes, said Hermione calmly, taking a sip of her drink. Otherwise, as you very well know, I will inform the authorities that you are an unregistered animagus. Like, yeah. You can do that if she doesn't do it. You can still pay her. 
I just think this is bullshit. I think this woman is like, her hair is lank. Like she has rhinestones missing out of her glass. I'm not saying she, I'm not saying rhinestone glasses are a necessity, but like, is this woman it, even eating at this point? I'm a rhinestone cowboy. <sighs> I'm sorry. I just think this is like, it, it's, we're talking about the good guys here. It's gangster. It is gangster. And we're not, this is, uh... Yeah, it's tough to see, like, our characters who we hold as our moral center. Mm -hmm. Like, what are they going to have to do to achieve their ends? Also, Blackmail, that's like a little dirty, you know? There's another unregistered Animagus who we love a whole lot and we forgive a lot of. Yeah. Serious fucking black. Yeah. You know, and he's not getting blackmailed all the time. He's going through a lot. Don't get me wrong, but he's not getting blackmailed for that information. We laud him. And and I'm the first one to say how beautiful it is that he's an unregistered animagus because of his love and friendship yeah. with Remus. Like it, 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 those two things are not compatible. Yeah, it's all tough I'm to see when they start to play dirty. Mm-hmm. I just wonder how dirty they're going to have to play as the series goes on. Are they going to have to make like some tough ethical choices just to try to take down Voldemort or what? Of course. It's exciting though. It's it is makes exciting. It fun and suspenseful. Yes. All I'm saying is not paying this woman is not an ethical choice that Hermione had to make. <laughs> they're blackmailing her. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I'm going to, I'm throwing this one to the people. I'm I'm I, I would love to hear others weigh in on this. Can you still blackmail someone and still compensate them for their work? I think <laughs> that you can. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. I think that you can say you're going to write this article for the quibbler. I know you don't want to. I don't really care if you don't want to. If you don't do it, I'm gonna tell everyone your secret. I'm still gonna give you gold. For your work. You know who we need to talk to about this? <laughs> Nikki Tuta. Yes. Nikki's like, what are you? Are you going to blackmail the guy and you're going to buy him lunch? What the hell? Oh, Jesus Christ. What a strange chapter. What a weird chapter. But I love this chapter, even though it gets my blood pressure up. Clearly. <laughs> You know what I'm going to blackmail you to do? What? Give me your prophecy or I'm going to tell everyone that you like to be the little spoon. But you're also going to like buy me a book from the store. <laughs> Not the same thing as Nick, what I was saying. Nick, slide into my DMs. Let's okay, discuss this. <laughs> you are being reductive and you're oversimplifying my argument, but fine, so, go ahead. Speaking of simplified, my prophecy is pretty simple. <laughs> I'm going to make a t-shirt that just says, my prophecy is pretty simple. Sirius is going to get found at Grimald Place. Oh. They either already know exactly where he is, and it's just a matter of time before they swoop in, if he don't get the hell out of there soon. Oh, God. But I think he's going to be discovered there. Oh, no. I don't know if it's going to lead to a big battle, if he's going to escape or what, but that's it. Oh, God. And it's going to happen in this book very that soon. Sounds ominous. I don't like it. What's your Madam Puttyfoot's Hedwig's Digital Get Down Hoot? I'm going to go with like a 90s emo.
So this is kind of an unusual Hedwig's digital get down in that it came in the form of a Facebook comment. So as we mentioned last week, I've been having a hell of a time with migraines and like anything that sucks. Sometimes the best thing to do is to laugh about it. And our friend Arlene, who is... Perhaps the funniest person I've ever met. I really think she might be the funniest person I've, I've only ever hung met. hung out with her, I think, once. Oh. We were dying. It was at a wedding or something, wasn't she's, it? I mean, I she's just one of those people, like, God has blessed this woman with a sense of humor that will make you just explosively laugh, like maybe cause a medical emergency because you're laughing so hard. Her timing, her choice of words, she is hilarious. Well, she commented on a post I made on Facebook about having a migraine, and she just asked a very simple question. If a migraine were a person in Harry Potter, who would it be? (laughs) And I just thought this was funny. And do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll let you go first. Okay, so I'm I'm technically I'm cheating a little bit. So mine's not really a person. I am actually choosing a thing. Cause of course I think everyone is going to assume that I'm gonna say Snape, but it's actually not Snape because as horrible as Snape is, you know, Snape has like a silky low voice and a migraine doesn't feel silky or low or dulcet in any way. So to me, a migraine is the night bus. It's, you know, like crashing into everything and it's fucking Stan Shunpike talking too loud. And it's like the from the movie, The Unnecessary Shrunken Head. And it's like, it seems way too bright. And to me, it's like the night bus is a migraine. I don't get migraines very often. I'm sure I've had a couple in my life. I know you've had a couple in your life because what you've described is definitely a migraine. But... I would say I have two answers. Mm-hmm. One is the Dementors. Ooh, okay. Because a migraine comes and sucks all your happiness away. Yep. And two, Moaning Myrtle. Oh, this yeah. constant pain in the ass that you can't get rid of. Yeah, that sounds... It's almost weird. like a cross between Moaning Myrtle and um, Peeves. <laughs> oh, my God. Pe- yeah, Peeves is really appropriate. I like it. So anyway, I just thought that was a really hilarious question. So another kind of unusual thing I'm doing, admittedly, I structured some of these this week just on the off chance that I still was feeling really poorly when we were recording this. I wanted to keep things a little bit easy. Fortunately, I feel okay at the moment, but I thought this would be kind of fun. So for our Marauder shout outs, I want to know, uh, we're going to do superlatives. So if you don't remember superlatives... I don't know if you had this in your yearbooks, but in our yearbook, you had like most likely to succeed, best hair, most unusual, most unusual, (laughs) best looking. Did you get any superlatives in high school? Most likely to not freaking graduate. You did not. First of all, they would never give anyone that superlative. No, I'm pretty sure that we had them. I want to say that we had them. I've got my high school, my senior yearbook is in the other room. Yeah. Um, I feel like we had them. No, I wasn't given any sort of superlative. I almost, I feel like I might have gotten best smile or something really lame like that. I didn't get any of the cool ones. I mean, you always want to get like, I wanted to get best actress yeah. naturally. Yeah. 
I didn't get that one though. I remember who did. I remember her face and I remember her first name. I'm not going to say it because I went to a very small school. Um, <laughs> and you're not bitter about it. I'm, I'm not at all bitter about it if you couldn't tell. But she was my like, she was the actress that got all the parts I wanted yeah. in high school. <laughs> and I can, she, she. Was she good? No. Yes. She <laughs> yeah, was, she was pretty good. She, was good. she was pretty good. And she was also really a super lovely, very a nice person. person. Yeah, yes. It makes it I harder. really liked her a lot and I have nothing but good memories about her, but I, you know, the, the evil bitter bitch in me wants to be like, she was awful. Um, so what are our Marauder superlatives? Let's kick this off with Ben Clark. Most original. Yeah, I love it. I love it. How about, and we've been given full permission to just call her this from now on, Lindsay Prestige. Which we learn it's Prestige. Prestige. Is how you say her name. Yes. But it's Prestige. It's Prestige. Most prestigious. Most, oh, naturally. <laughs> right? Austin Scroggins. Probably friendliest. Most friendly. Yes. Most friendly. Most friendliest. <laughs> most friendliest. Most smartest. Sorry, that's also from Drop Dead Gorgeous. Josh Bailey. Most intelligent. Totally. Kara Heller. Most likely to succeed. That's like the the pinnacle superlative. Yeah, that's the number one. That's like um, Michael J. Fox in Secret of My Success. Like that oh, character. I know that's one of your drug movies. The secret of my, my success, success is I'm living 25 hours a day. Not physically possible. Yeah. That's the one that everyone wants to get. Yeah. So congratulations, Kara. Good job. How about Nick Tillman? Nikki Tootles. Most likely to break your hand for your lunch money. <laughs> no, Nick's a good guy. I know. He's a Hufflepuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Nick probably got like funniest. Oh, totally. Yes. Natalia Ward. Natalia Ward. Best smile. Yes. Or best hair. Or best hair. Yeah. Either one of those. I feel like best hair was an actual superlative. I think best smile was too, honestly. I know best smile was because I actually think I might have gotten that one. Oh, you still have the best smile. I think I have a ridiculous smile, but thank you. I'm like, (laughs) I'm doing it for you right now. And you're laughing. So that's great. (laughs) How about Heather Bevel's most creative? Yes. That woman as like a a stage manager for a show like if you say heather emergency theater emergency we need a prop that looks like mashed potatoes on stage in 10 minutes and all we have is like a some dental floss and a sharpie yeah she'll make it happen how about sarah epting i think sarah would be sweetest sweetest yes how about Samantha Tillman? Most athletic. Oh, yeah. Most likely to throw an elbow in your nose. How about Dean Heath? Dean would probably be like most disciplined, I think. Yes. Most zen. Because like Dean puts 100% into things, I feel like. And he's got, he's very disciplined with, you know, his martial arts and that sort of thing. Love it. Love it. 
Melissa Hunter. Most likely to miss school during buck season. <laughs> Make your name dirt road dollars. <laughs> you have got to stop. I really thought that we had put that song behind us. I'm really disappointed in you. <laughs> How about Faith Kenfield? Oh. Every time I see her, you're like, oh. Faith. I just think that name is so pretty. I know. She's got a beautiful name. Most loyal. Like to her friends and stuff. Oh, what a good superlative to get. Yeah. I would love that. As a Hufflepuff, I approve. Yeah. Michael Terry. I don't know if Michael Terry plays any instruments, but I know he's a huge music fan. So I would yeah. say most musical. Yes. <laughs> most musicals. Jazz hands. <laughs> Hello. My name is Michael Terry. And I'm looking for a girl that I should marry. Oh, there she is. I'm so happy. Now she's mine. Oh, my home was sent you a video the other day. If I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But you always do this voice that's like every man in a modern musical. It's, it's called Modern Musical Man. Yes. So there's a woman, I think it's probably on TikTok, and she did old musical songs from like fucking 42nd street or whatever yeah as modern musical modern mu oh but as a modern musical gal oh which is but it was very much in the same vein and it was incredible can you do my your impersonation of my impersonation of every man in a modern musical <laughs> yeah you're like <laughs> <laughs> i need like a lyric give me a lyric I'll give you a Moana. I've been standing okay. at the edge of the water. Okay, I can go with this. I've been staring at the edge of the water. It's like a very, it's like a. You have uh, to, you have to over enunciate. Yeah. But there's also this tension too. Yeah. It, it's like, Mary had little lamb. Yeah. It's it fleece as white as snow. Yeah. It's, I don't it's care awful. for it at all. How about Caitlin Dismuke? Should have given her most athletic. <laughs> I would say tallest. <laughs> As because, we know. Because she's six seven. Right. She is six foot seven. Yes. How about Brianne Brown? Most bees in her name. <laughs> <laughs> you just get my sense of humor. How about Vicky Gutherless? Most friendly to animals. Oh, yes. How about Daniel Marks? I wonder what superlative he got. Oh you know he got something. Funniest. He had to have got funniest. Because he's another one that's like one of I the funniest people I've ever known. Best personality, too. Uh, we need to find out, Daniel. Let us know. I know for a fact you showboating son of a bitch that you got some kind of superlative in high school. So Daniel Marks. I think he got funniest. Daniel Marks and I and you, as a matter of fact, all did a show together. And I, my hand to God, I wanted to wring his neck because there was a scene in that show where he made. I don't remember what he did. But I had to be mad in this scene. And he said something <laughs> in a way that like, I literally don't remember what he said, but it was so funny that I'm laughing, thinking about it, not even remembering what right. he said. Yeah. And I started laughing on stage the night we were being filmed. And I was like, it was very important that I was angry at yeah. that point in the scene. I remember this. I do not appreciate it, Daniel Marks. And I'm still freaking mad. Uh, Kelly Moore. 
Probably best actress. Yeah, I could see that. The one that I wanted. The one that got away. Best thespian. Best thespian. Jennifer Ayers. <laughs> Man. Uh... You can't say highest. No, that's an accusation. <gasps> I think she probably got coolest. Totally. Totally. She was the one that, that was like... definitely not mine. <laughs> it was definitely not mine either. Are you kidding me? This dork. I did not get coolest. How about Josh Kennedy? Most likely to not live in Dallas. Oh. Ooh. Ooh, harsh Kennedy joke. Many layers, though. That's a deep one. That's highbrow. It's oh, and that was like an unintentional bad joke. I think follow-up. maybe Josh Kennedy. I've never seen Josh Kennedy. Right. His face. But I feel like with the name Kennedy, probably best looking. Totally. Most totally. handsome. Most handsome. You know, he's got that like, you know, the 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 good jawline, good he's Kennedy like, jawline. I come from good blood. Oh, that was really, that, I think that was a good Kennedy impression. Nice. And last but not least, how about our dear Pete Collins? Pete. Pete. Best listener. Totally. <gasps> Oh, I want a best list. I want all these superlatives. Oh, we're supposed to do this for each other, too. Oh, really? Yeah. What superlative would I have gotten? Most clumsy. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Thanks. <laughs> Every girl's dream. <sighs> and prettiest. Oh, I get two. <laughs> <laughs> Clumsiest and prettiest. Um, your superlative. Class clown. Yeah, that, that unfortunately was true. <laughs> Which was exactly the type I was into. It's not a, uh, it's not a skill that really gained you anything, except it, detention. Except a lot of crushes. Trust me. That's what I was going for, probably. Well, then we would have been a match made in heaven. first with marriage lessons. So my marriage lesson comes back to the Harry Cho date. <laughs> that sounded like H-A-I-R-Y and a Harry Cho sounded like something. Harry Chode. <laughs> the Harry Cho date. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And that is have clear intent and mm-hmm. make your intentions known. Okay. I don't, I think Harry was blindsided by the Cedric question, but I think Cho was blindsided by the Hermione thing. Both of them should have communicated a little bit better. So have clear intent when you converse with your partner. Agree. So that it's not misconstrued what it is that you are trying to convey to them. Very good lesson. Yes. And I think that's, that would have been the Band-Aid that would have really solved that whole yeah. situation. Well, my marriage lesson also, unsurprisingly, comes from that same scene. I mean, obviously. And I kind of deliberately steered myself away from where I wanted to go because I wanted to go the communication route. But I wanted to challenge myself a little bit because I think that was – I want. I think that was – a. That was exactly where I wanted to take it. And I felt like I needed to draw a lesson that was harder for me. Yeah. Right? So mine was that it's okay to not be into the same things. 
So let me tell you where I get this from, because I think that maybe this date starts to go downhill a little bit sooner than either one of us even brought up, which is the fact that Cho chooses Madame Puttyfoots and that Harry doesn't say, eh, that's not really my scene. Yeah, it's kind of ruffly. It reminds him of Dolores Umbridge's office. Exactly. And it sets a tone yeah, that's not that's very point. promising, right? So, um, and I think that this is something that fortunately we're pretty cool with. And so this yeah. might be something that is, you know, maybe as anything, always a good thing for us to remind ourselves of and, and stay, make sure we're staying clear on, but also something that's really good for us to remind any of our friends that ever come to us for advice, or if we ever have kids to remind them, like, it's okay to not be into the same things. And it's not your job to convince the other person that the thing you like is good. Virgin exactly. River season two. Jesus Christ. Virgin River is the worst show I've ever seen in my life. But also it's important for me to not sit there and make fun of Virgin River the whole time when you're sitting and enjoying it, which I have a tendency to do because that's very mean of me to do. So I shouldn't do that. Yeah. And you should be concerned with whether or not Mel and Jack are going to end up together. No, you know, no, I don't care about that at all. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Ready to roll the credits? Yes. Before we reveal our winners and losers and terrible dad jokes this week, a few reminders. If you love this show and want to help it grow, there are two things you can do. Number one, consider joining one of our membership tiers on Patreon. With monthly donation levels ranging from $1 to $20 a month and benefits like extra content, snail mail from us, on-air shoutouts, and more, it's the most direct way to show your support. Find out more at patreon.com slash the Vox and the Foxhound. And thank you to our existing patrons. We could not make this show without you. The other way to help our growth is to subscribe, rate, and review The Fox and the Foxhound wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us by leading more people to the show. If you have a question you'd like featured on the show, send it to us at thefoxandthefoxhound at gmail.com. Audio recordings of your question are welcome as well. Or you can send us a question through Instagram at thefoxandthefoxhound. Twitter at Fox and Foxhound. No these, no thys, no thous. Just Fox and Foxhound. Facebook.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound or our website, thefoxandthefoxhound.com. Just click contact us. Be sure to join our Discord server to chat with us, our patrons, and fellow listeners. You can find the link on our website, in our Instagram bio, and in the pinned posts on Facebook and Twitter. We'd like to say a special thank you to Judson Hurd, who composed the theme for our show. Find out more about him and his music at judsonherd.com. That's J-U-D-S-O-N-H-U-R-D.com. And finally, a big thank you to our manager of mischief, minister of magic, and all-around superstar, Josh Bailey. Okay, back to the show. All right. Well, it's time for winners and losers. Who's your winner? Hermione. Oh, Lord. Okay. Go ahead. Why? Because she's sticking it to Rita. 
<sighs> okay. Cool. That's great. Good for her. Um, my winner, Neville. Oh. Yeah, he's taking the, what admittedly I'm assuming is fear that he's feeling mm-hmm. after this breakout and he's channeling it into action and improvement, um, which I like. That's a good one. Thank you. Who's your loser? <laughs> Jesus, I'm so scared. God damn it. <sighs> uh-huh. Go ahead. She just, you know, she didn't, she, she, she didn't make the best actions on this date. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Yep. Uh- <laughs> That's great. That's all right. Well, you're going to love this. Who's your loser? Hermione Granger. <laughs> How did I know that was going to be the case? <laughs> For blackmailing someone and then not paying them (laughs) no just for blackmailing someone yeah that's legit actually when you're supposed to be the good guy you know it's that is legit i feel like that's at best morally ambiguous (laughs) yes right yes i agree (laughs) okay so this was a bit of a mess in terms of where we are lining up yeah And, you know, I just have to say, I think conversations like this one are only going to increase as we get further in this series. I think you're right. And they're only going to increase in intensity. There have been a couple of things that I've mentioned in our, we have a channel in Discord called the Restricted Section that Kevin's not allowed in, where we actually talk about things that are, uh, haven't happened yet. And there have been a couple of things I've brought up um, that I've said I'm legitimately worried about us talking about because I really think we're going to disagree heavily. Yes. And I think I may this, yell at this you. This series will end our marriage. <laughs> no, I don't think that at all. Um, wow. Okay. What's your dad joke? Why won't the Postal Service deliver Sirius's letters? Why? Because it's blackmail. And strangely related to so much of my conversation. I like it. Ooh. Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Boo. Boo who? Oh, my name's Harry. You need to stop crying because I'm a toxically masculine (laughs) male. And I just really think that you should get over your emotions. Ugh, women. (laughs) And on that note, <laughs> and that's my whole joke. That's it. Wow. For my joke, I just wrote improv. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we're, we're covering the next one to two chapters next week. Yeah, we've got a big one coming up next. Big, long chapter. Yeah, it's at least 20 pages. I'm going to end this episode with a superlative for all of our listeners. Uh, Okay. And all the foxies out there. I'm ready. Most lovely. Oh, my God. And most loved by us. Truth. My God. We'll see you next week. Bye.